there's a euphoria that for me would wash over me from engaging in a criminal act and for from 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 dominating someone from from just going out into the world and having that devil may care attitude of I can do whatever I want and I don't have to worry about anything. There was a, a sense of freedom. There was an air of freedom in it, but it is also something that if I'm honest about it is, is, is very confining. It's very constricting because once I went down that rabbit hole, then I was trapped into continuing to do certain actions and activities, number one, to chase that high, and number two, to continue to build that persona that I built to hide behind. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. Our guest today is Eldra Jackson III, co-executive director of Inside Circle, a support group that helps incarcerated men heal trauma. Eldra was featured in The Work, an amazing 2017 film that takes place within New Folsom Prison in California, and documents a group healing intensive between members of the public and incarcerated men. Eldra spent 24 years as an inmate at New Folsom Prison where he found Inside Circle and began his personal journey of self-awareness and transformation that not only led to being granted freedom from a life sentence, but also to a current leadership role within the organization. He is a living example of successful rehabilitation and reentry, and his current life's work as a facilitator, trainer, and mentor includes actively supporting others both within and outside of prison in overcoming their limiting beliefs. Esalen's Greg Archer sat down with Eldra Jackson III to talk. Here's their conversation. So Eldra, you know, thank you. Uh, it, it, it's remarkable. I appreciated your talk at Wisdom 2.0. I mean, there were so many speakers there and and I, I appreciated your talk and what, what you brought to the conversation. I'm asking people that we are interviewing how has this time been for them? So how has this time been for you? Uh, we started with something in March called the pandemic, <laughs> the coronavirus. Uh, it escalated and shifted into something uh, in late May after the death of George Floyd, bringing lots of attention to, to the racial crisis that has been going on in America. So how has this time been for you with both of those things? Well, for me with both of those things, I'll, I'll begin with COVID and and the world, basically the globe going into a, a, a lockdown. For me, that piece was very familiar. Having spent so much time incarcerated, mm -hmm. it was really just a walk in the park for me. But what it did was provide a space for me to share and people like me to share lessons that had been learned with uh, uh, dealing with isolation, with dealing with uh, not being able to move and feeling like certain freedoms had been curtailed. So it provided a space for us to be able to find a new way to serve and support people in finding ways in dealing with the mental and emotional distress that comes from isolation, that comes from being isolated and being, you know, quote unquote, locked down. And, and not being able to move and not being able to have human contact and things like that. So my past, you know, fortunately provided me the tools with, with which to share with people to help them cope with what we were going through. And as we pivoted into some of the things that have come about following the, I'll use the word lynching of George Floyd, my initial thoughts and or feelings about that were, uh, here we go again. 
because for me and in my experience in the time that I've been on the face of this planet, this was not something that was new. This was not something that was just like an aha moment. And I've, I've, I've grown to a place where I have some hope and some encouragement about where we may go as a society, because I think that collectively we're pulling our heads out of the sands and, and coming into a new awakening. And, and I think we just might have reached a place in our, in our time where there's a certain genie that won't be able to get put back into the bottle. I like that. What do you feel this time is attempting to teach us? I think that this time is attempting to show us how much more we are alike than we are different. I think that pre-COVID and pre this awareness that we're going through right now was very easy for me and anybody else to get caught up on the uh, wheel of life and get caught up in things and doing and making stuff happen and that rigorous routine. And that provides a space to disconnect from not only my own humanity, but disconnect from the humanity of other people. And I think that this time is providing us the space to reconnect, number one, with self, and then that opens the door to be able to reconnect with others. Mm. Mm. I agree with you. I agree with you. Do you feel, you touched upon this just a second ago, but do you feel that you know, we as collectively, do you feel like we are turning a corner in the area of race and racism? I think that we are in the fact that we're having more conversations and, and there are more questions being asked and people are, at least in my experience, are more open to looking at, number one, what racism really is and how it affects people and what role people may play in it. Not just, it's not just really about being a racist, so to speak. What is my role in participating in a system that is designed to oppress other people and how do I benefit from that system? So I can be a part of the system without being active. I can be a passive participant in what's going on. And I think that there are a lot of people now that are looking at what their passive roles may have been. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity since we are all sitting still more to look at things like that. Uh, when you imagine organizations, you know, uh, big ones, small ones, and especially retreat centers and wellness centers such as Esalen and, 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 and many others, uh, when you imagine them as being a just, equitable, and inclusive organization, how does that look for you? Well, number one, it looks like a safe space for me. It looks like a space that anyone can go to and feel comfortable, no matter what their background, no matter where they come from, no matter what their life experience, no matter what their, their personal religious beliefs are, their whatever. And, and they can feel safe and they can feel like whoever they are has a space to show up and, 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 and they can look at, you know, what they believe and what they've been taught, what they've been indoctrinated in, and maybe, you know, kind of find the space to find out how that works for them or doesn't without being judged, without being ridiculed. It looks like a place where I don't have all of the answers for you and I don't pretend like I have all of the answers for you, but I can support you on your journey in finding your answers for yourself. Folks, we are talking, thank you. We are talking to Eldra Jackson III, the co-executive director of Inside Circle. Eldra, you know, in your TED Talk, you gave a really wonderful TED Talk. You talked about toxic masculinity. 
Can you explain that a bit more? Uh, yeah, I can explain. When I speak about toxic men, uh, masculinity, I'm speaking from the I perspective. I'm speaking about my experience and how I have shown up in the world. I'm not coming from a place of indicting uh, manhood or maleness or or or, right. or 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 trying to convict anybody of anything else. What I'm speaking about is some of the ideologies that I adopted based on my gender, based on having a scrotum with a, a, a pair of balls in them. And once hair started to grow, that meant that I was a man. And whatever came up from that and however I chose to show up in the world, that was okay based on how I was born. And not really, not, not really, not at all considering what the impact was on people who were not men, who were not males what my beliefs were, what my language was, and how it affected people around me, most, most, most importantly women, but also other men, also other males, and the encouragement that I gave them to show up, you know, in a quote unquote toxic way, either by what I was doing overtly or again, passively by not calling out things that I knew I wouldn't want my sister or my mother to be uh, uh, subject to. You know, in your, you wrote an LA Times article several years ago, you wrote, as a gang member, I immersed myself in a world of toxic masculinity. I saw victimizing others as not merely a choice, but a right. If I wanted something, I took it. If someone was in my way, I knocked them down. It is easy for me to identify with the mindset of men who are being unmasked in this ongoing flood of stories even though they have led their lives in a very different kind of context. Mm -hmm. I see the air of entitlement that comes from having power over others, the rush and euphoria of invincibility. So take, take me back a bit. Um, you know, let's go back. You grew up in Sacramento. You, and from my understanding, you joined a gang at 14, correct? Yes, sir. So, so take me back. What was it like for you growing up in Sacramento? Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I grew up in in my my time growing up in Sacramento was in the 1980s during you know the the, the wild wild west of the crack era, and so uh, before I, I I joined gangs, I was an athlete. You know, I was you know what they might call a fair to midland baseball player, and and during that era, there were really two cohorts of of individuals that had respect in the inner city, and they were athletes or gang members. And so when I was no longer involved in sports, you know, I, I, I made the transition to the gang lifestyle. And, and that was something that for me was thrilling. It was something that fed my addiction to power. It was something that fed my addiction to uh, uh, extremism. And it was something that allowed me to build a persona to hide behind, to hide my lack of self-esteem. It was something that uh, I was able to hide, you know, my fears behind and, and, and project my sense of power and my beliefs about who I wanted to be onto others in a, in a very dominating and victimizing way. So it was a time in my life where I was very reckless. I was very dangerous. I was, you know, somebody that you could call suicidal and homicidal just based on the activities that I would place myself in. 
I don't know that it was necessary. Well, I was very aware that what I was doing was wrong because I was raised by two parents who taught me right from wrong. So I had that moral compass and I choose to throw it in the dumpster. So I knew that the actions that I was engaging in were wrong. It wasn't about me identifying a place of going into darkness. It was about me going into the mentality and succumbing to the, I can do whatever the hell I want to, to whoever the hell I want to, whenever the hell I want to. That's really what it was about for me. It was about me saying to hell with everybody else. It's all about me and what I want. And if I want it, I'll take it. That seems to be a, a kind of rabbit hole that once you go down, it's you can't sort of slip back up. <laughs> you keep going through and so it's I, I, intoxicating. It, it, it can yeah. be intoxicating. Like I said, it, it is an addiction to a particular lifestyle. And, and there's a euphoria that comes. There's a euphoria that for me would wash over me from engaging in a criminal act and for, from, from, from dominating someone from, from just going out into the world and having that devil may care attitude of I can do whatever I want and I don't have to worry about anything. There was a, a sense of freedom. There was an air of freedom in it, but it is also something that if I'm honest about it is, is, is very confining. It's very constricting because like you, you call it a rabbit hole. Once I went down that rabbit hole, then I was trapped into continuing to do certain actions and activities, number one, to chase that high, and number two, to continue to build that persona that I built to hide behind. So when today, when you were asked about kidnapping, robbery, attempted murder, I mean, these were, these were things that were on your path. Mm -hmm. um, when you're asked about that today, what immediately comes to mind? What immediately comes to mind is uh, a, a shame and, 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 and sadness, uh, regret and empathy, because these are all, all, all acts that I committed, acts of terror that I committed upon other human beings. And, and these are things that no matter what I do in this life can't be undone. I can't, you know, sorry is, is a sorry word to say. And what immediately comes to my mind is the debt that I owe until they put my body in the ground to try and atone for those acts and the people that I've affected in such a negative way to ensure number one, that nobody else ever suffers at my hand in that way. And number two, if I can affect change in others and inspire others to maybe change the path that they're on and the things that they're doing so that no one has to suffer at their hands in that way, that's just a little bit of what comes to mind. And, and the shame piece is, you know, just the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, you know, we've talked about a wisdom 2.0 talking to Ted talks. Uh, the fact that having uh, committed those acts and been in the position to have to serve time, put me in a position to have learned the things that I learned and experienced the things that I've experienced and people are interested in hearing about that. And when I, you know, am honest with my th myself and think about it, the, the shame is that I got to where I'm at today because I hurt people. And, 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 and there's, there's, there's shame there for that. You, you say that when you were sitting in solitary confinement, this is a quote, not for the first time, uh, for stabbing another prisoner nearly 30 times, I began to wonder how I spiraled so far into the abyss. I didn't have answers to the questions that began to crop up in my mind. 
but I knew that the, that the questioning was due. This inquiry led me to doing the work. And so that led you to join a men's group called Inside Circle. And so let's talk about Inside Circle because that really was a pivotal point for you. Most certainly. Yeah. Uh, Inside Circle, to give a little bit of background on Inside Circle, it was what it is today began as a kernel of a vision in the, man, in the mind of a man named Patrick Nolan. And there was a, a, a large racial riot in New Folsom on B Yard in, in 1996. And Pat Nolan was associated with the Aryan Brotherhood. And as the lockdown began, began to come up nearly a year later, he went around the various uh, leaders of organizations on the yard and asked for permission to get members to be able to sit in a room you know, without killing one another to uh, participate in a poetry class. And it wound up turning into uh, a support group that helped foster peace on a maximum security yard. For the decade that I was on that particular yard, there were no racial, racial riots. There were no racial incidents across racial lines because we had people sitting in circle and inside circle and men's group doing their own interpersonal work. It is very difficult uh, Greg, for me to want to see harm come to you when I can see myself in you. And what helps me be able to see myself in you is me going within and doing my own work and then supporting the space for you to do your work. Because as you begin to do your work, there are going to be things that come up within you that I can identify with. Mm that are in me and I can see that connection and there's a bond there and I see myself in you. There's a kinship. There's a, 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 a place where we can meet as number one humans, but as brothers. And when we're doing this work with women as brothers and sisters or whatever pronoun people choose to utilize for themselves, there's a connection and a unity. So that is in brief what Inside Circle uh, uh, introduced me to. Mm. So what, so what was it like for you in the beginning? So there you are, it's your first day, you're in this group, you're sitting in a circle. What's happening for you? Well, what's happening for me on the first day that I'm sitting in circle, in circle is the opportunity to see a man actually get out on the carpet and do his work. So it wasn't about me doing personal work. It was about me seeing what that work looked like and the depths to which it can go when someone feels safe and they have that space to really look at what's going on with them emotionally and mentally. And it was, it, to be quite frank, it was a shock to the system to see someone that I thought I knew I had been doing time with for close to a dozen years and to see, you know, an individual get out there and do some deep personal transformational work and expose the places in his life where he was wounded and had been traumatized. It was a shock to my system and, and, and something that woke me up. It was like being hit with smelling salts. It let me know that I was on the playing field of, 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 of some real authentic stuff. I can understand how being in that moment could have been a major turning point and a pivot. You know, like it, 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 it's it's a it's a huge turning point, because like I said a little bit earlier, anytime someone is doing their work, if I am really open and, and I'm there and I'm present, it's impossible for me to not. See or feel something that resonates with me on a very deep level. Mm -hmm. So to to sit in a space like that and to have somebody to go 
you know, super deep, it's impossible to walk away from something like that and not feel the rawness inside of self. Yeah, yeah. So you said you investigated your dark corners and figured out where you were quote unquote damaged as a human being. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Oh, sure. Uh, well, number one, I discovered uh, my, my, my fear of connection with other humans. I discovered my fear of, of, of loving others and being loved by others. I, I discovered my fear of, of, of vulnerability. I discovered my fear of being hurt. And I discovered where all of those things came from. And I discovered how those things were showing up in my life and keeping me from being able to make a connection, first of all, with self. And second of all, with others in any meaningful way, I discovered how trauma that I had suffered, you know, as a, at, a, at a very young age had imprinted on me and, and, and compiled a lot of, of, of negative self-talk about myself, number one, and about uh, uh, other people and how I would deal in situations that felt threatening to me. So those were things that I didn't realize were inside of me and were the pilots of my, you know, life. And, 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 and so I was, I was given the opportunity to be facilitated to look at those places. Number one, to discover them. Number two, to face them. And then number three, to go back and revisit them and attempt to reformat those imprints on my DNA and start to make up space in myself to be able to function from a place of, 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 of a more awakened and enlightened uh, decision-making process. Mm, right. Do you recall moments or one or two pivotal moments? You know, you've been for a while, let's say you've been in inside circle and you've mm -hmm. been doing the work. Was there a moment where you were in the circle or you left the circle or you're doing your work on your own where you saw something within yourself that you didn't see before? Uh, well, I can see where uh, the, the, the major point for me, the major pivotal point for me was going back and uh, revisiting having been molested in my childhood and the decisions that grew just in that moment the pieces in me that broke in that moment that got locked away until I was in my thirties and started to do this work. Uh, the messages that I received, I mean, like if you're, what, what I hear you asking about is like an aha moment or an epiphany moment for me, uh, an aha moment for me in going back number one and, 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 and reconnecting to that experience. I was able to see where, because of that situation and me putting myself between my sister and a victimizer, what I told myself was caring about her and loving someone else was something that put me in harm's way, put me in a position to be victimized. It put me in a position that showed me as weak. So from that moment on, how I had been functioning in life and how I had been showing up in life, I had been disconnected from real authentic relationships with other people because to do so, to open up to a real relationship with you, Greg, and be vulnerable and be open meant I was weak. To be open like that with you meant that I was in a position where I was going to be harmed. 
to open myself up to you and to show you real genuine love was not only a weakness, but that was something that somebody was going to see and they could come in and they could, for lack of a better term, kill me. So instead of being open like that, what I would be is I would be completely closed. I would be completely shut down. I would be inhumane and I would be the one who would hurt. I hear you. I hear you. I, I hear you so, so clearly. I, I find it interesting that these moments in our lives were, especially when we're younger, you know, when we're children, teenagers, where we have this trauma, this thing happens, and then these solutions are then made to self-preserve and survive. And decades go by and we somehow reach some sort of wall, right? Where we go, I made these decisions to kind of live this way or do these things many, many decades ago. So um, I really appreciate you sharing what you, what you just shared because uh, I think many of us can relate in, um, in some way to uh, those moments back when we were children, when we were teenagers, when something traumatic happened and we decided, okay, I'm gonna go on a, on a survival trip here and take care of myself. Because like you say, to, to love somebody, to be open to somebody in your mind at that time was to be weak, you know? Um, I think, you know, in my experience, I, I decided to leave home at a very early age because I thought staying home, I wouldn't survive. I wouldn't survive the chaos, the madness, everything that was going on there. So for me, home has been like a curious issue. So to find a home and be settled in a home, if you can imagine going through your adult life with that sort of thing, like, well, I can't really find a home. I must be nomadic because having a home isn't safe. So interesting things, interesting decisions we make when we're children, teenagers impact us for decades. I think you really put it eloquently. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Yes. Sir. Um, you know, were there several people within inside circle, mentors, people that you're like, oh, that's my rock. You know, that person really helped me. That's my mentor, you know? Well, I can name people, you know, I can name one of the co-founders, Rob Albee, who started going inside 25 years ago and continues to do so today. Uh, uh, James McCleary, uh, Bill Wick, uh, Barada G. Joplin, the list goes on and on and on, the men who came inside and supported that work. And uh, uh, honestly, my mentors outside of those men are every single individual who has had the bravery to step into that circle and do their own work because every time someone steps into that space and does that work it 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 emboldens everyone else it emboldens me and shows me that it's safe to do so wow wow it's great that you had people that were there you know for you uh can you describe the events that led to your 214 2014 release and then your current role at Inside Circle? Uh, well, the events that led to my eventual release in 2014 was uh, the process of going to the Board of Parole hearings. Uh, I was serving a life sentence. So anyone who is in California who's serving a term in a life sentence must appear before a parole panel, a former 
uh, law enforcement officials and, and walk them through your life from the time you came onto this planet up until you walk through that door and, 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 and be able to articulate an understanding about your causative factors, what contributed to the thinking, what contributed to rationalizing and normalizing the behaviors, every incident that you've ever been involved in in life and have them uh, pretty much feel safe with you being their next door neighbor. So it, it, it's not something that is a very uh, 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 easy uh, endeavor. You know, I had gone to board three times before I was eventually uh, released on parole. And then when I was released, uh, I, was, I was embraced by the Inside Circle uh, Foundation to uh, continue the work out here. And they wound up turning the reins over to several of us who had, be, who had gotten paroled and who were participants in the program inside, which was always a part of the dream, the men in blue coming home, coming into the community, and then taking this work to the next level. Right. And now you're working with, I mean, you act as a facilitator, trainer, and mentor for organizations like Youth Empowered and Goals Association, Shoulder to Shoulder, and the Alternatives to Violence Project. Uh, and you spend your free time working with at-risk youth. So how has that been for you? Well, it's been very uh, uh, enriching for me in the fact that we get the opportunity to share our lived experience with young people who have been identified in the community by someone as being at risk. And we get the opportunity to sit in circle with them and, and, and support them on their path and, and utilize ourselves as examples of uh, uh, what can happen and, and provide them the knowledge and the uh, lessons that we've learned over time to try and help imprint something different on them, not give them advice about, hey, you should be doing this or you should not be doing this, but more so providing them information about when I did this, this is what happened and this is what I learned. So what would you like to see your life? So we try and put them in a place where they have a power and they feel and know that they have power and dominion over their lives and the decisions that they make and then support them in navigating what it looks like to make more uh, uh, positively informed decisions over their life. Mm -hmm. So for me, it feels very good to support young people. Number one, to, to recognize ownership over their own lives and to recognize their own value and their own self-worth and begin to speak to that and to hopefully help some young people not go down the path that I went through. So it, it's very enriching and rewarding. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds very enriching and yeah. Wow. Uh, so how is being vulnerable for you today? Is it an empowering thing? Do you feel empowered through vulnerability or? I feel alive when I'm vulnerable. I feel human when I'm vulnerable. I don't necessarily equate it to power, but I definitely don't identify it as weakness. I feel it as uh, when I'm vulnerable, I feel there's fear that comes up with being vulnerable. I think that that's a very natural human response for me in, in my vulnerability, but I also feel safe when I'm vulnerable. I also feel authentic when I'm vulnerable because being vulnerable is a big piece of who I truly am. 
And so when I'm vulnerable, I feel like I'm giving myself the freedom and the permission to be who I am. So if I could boil it down to one word, one word, freedom. Freedom. You're free. Yeah. It's freedom. What is one of the best things for you in your life right now? One of the best things for me in my life right now, uh, the easy answer would be my wife and family, my wife and, and my two kids, because that is the space where I get to consistently do my work and look at those things that trigger me. And, and I get to be vulnerable and I get to, 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 to show up, you know, in, in all of the places where it's, you know, uh, sugar and spice and everything nice. And in those places where it's snips and snails and puppy dog tails and, and be accepted, you know, uh, uh, without question and with, without uh, a judgment and without fear of, of being thrown away and cast out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How old are your children? Uh, 15 and four, two boys, two young men. 15 and four. Both amazing ages, <laughs> both sort of turning point ages, right? Yeah. Very much so. What do you love most about being a father? What I love most about being a father is the opportunity to pass along the lessons that were passed to me from my grandfather and not try and force what I want them to be, but support them in finding their own way and asking them questions about, well, why is that? And how does that serve you? And seeing the light behind their eyes come on as they discover self. Yeah, wow, that's brilliant. What do you feel is one of the most vital actions we all could be taking in this day and age? I think one of the most vital actions we could all be taking in this day and age is looking at how I'm showing up. And when I say how I'm showing up, I think a lot of times uh, a natural inclination uh, of the human species is to see a problem and to see something and point at the problem and look at, you know, and have judgments about, you know, what should be done or what others could be doing or why is it not happening to this, at like this, as opposed to looking at number one, why does my brain think that that's an issue? And then number two, why does that issue trigger me? Mm -hmm. What is it that I can learn about why I'm triggered about that issue? Because somewhere in there is the answer about how I can show up and be a piece of the solution about that issue that I can identify externally. The answer to that is internal. And so I think the one thing that we can do during these times and during any times is to go inside and look for the answers. Yeah. I feel like I, talk, I could talk to you for hours over coffee. <laughs> refreshing. Um, it, it's it's a really enlightening conversation. And really, I, I thank you for your candidness and everything you've been sharing. Um, Eldra, what brings you a real sense of wonder and awe? When we're at Esalen, uh, the land, the beauty, the, the landscape, the sea, the mountains, just the space uh, really lends itself to you walk there and you're Okay, well, what brings you a sense of wonder and awe? What brings me a sense of wonder and awe is every time I get to sit with another human being or a group of human beings and I see someone discover something new about themselves. I see someone discover how 
important they are, how special they are. They find their voice. They find uh, their own sense of worth, their own sense of value. They find that they have permission to set their own boundaries. So anytime I am, am, am privy to being able to witness someone's journey of self-discovery and along that journey of self-discovery, someone finds a new way to love themselves, I'm always in awe mm -hmm. at that. Number one, at how possible it is, but number two, I'm in awe that people allow me the grace to be able to sit and witness that as they go on that journey. Mm. I, 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 that never gets old for me. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, do you feel you're living your highest potential now? I feel like I'm, I'm living on the plane of what it could be and I'm living my life's purpose. And, and me being who I am, my, 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 there, there's a piece of me that always feels like I could be doing more. There's mm -hmm. a piece of me that always feels like I should be doing more, but my spirit speaks to me and lets me know that I'm in a space where I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and, and serving, you know, in the way that I have been uh, gifted. Well, one last question for you. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've been learning about yourself lately? Hmm. The most interesting thing that I have been learning about myself lately is that I still judge. Mm. The most interesting thing that I have been learning about myself lately is that I still judge about, I've, 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 I've learned lately how harshly I continue to judge myself. I, I've learned lately that uh, it's still a, an ongoing practice for me to forgive myself. And uh, in not being able to fully forgive myself in all aspects and in all areas, that holds me back from being able to really show up in some spaces authentically and fully. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's an interesting question because we're always learning something, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's always something going on. Uh, wow, Eldra. Thank you so much for your candidness and, and all the things that you shared and opening yourself up and um, sharing your life and your journey with us here today at the Excellent Interview. Um, folks, thank you for tuning in. Please uh, visit InsideCircle.org to learn more about this incredible organization at which Eldra is the co-executive director at. Um, there are a lot of things, you know, as I perused the website there, there's, you know, Inside Circle Intensive, Outside Circle in Intensive, uh, Facilitation Training, Community Connections. There's so much rich material and work going on with that organization. So um, really, thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for being here today. You are welcome on both fronts. And thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Terry Gilby, Greg Archer, Shannon Hudson, and Kelly McKay. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. You can find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast player, as well as at esalen.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contributions. <laughs>